Hi, this is 508, a show about Worcester. I'm Mike Benedetti. Good morning. Brendan Malikin. going to tell you until 30 seconds into the show that it's October 1st, 2010. So if you're watching this in November 2010 or something, it should be seen as a historical document and not as a, a current events program, which is what it is. We do this every week. Today we're out in the woods here in West Tatnick. You said there's an earthy smell today. It's all the extra rain. Yeah. It's washing, uh, eroding things into the pond here. Or things that happen to smell. Yeah. There you go. And. Uh, we normally try to look at this area of the woods and see if there's any drug paraphernalia. I don't see anything. They were all it was all washed into the pond. There you go. <laughs> there's weird stuff though. There's some stuff laying around. There's a lot of trash laying around, but not drug trash. We may talk about drugs later in the show. Uh, last week's show was a good show. Mm. Yeah, we had the, uh, what do you call them? Chamber music yeah, chamber on. Chamber music, that was excellent. Did you, did you get a chance to watch them last weekend? Uh, I did not. Me no. neither, me neither. Last week I had to. Last week I had to go to uh, mystery, the mystery band show. It was conflicting with the chamber music concert, but I'm looking forward to seeing the Worcester Chamber Music Society uh, later in the year and maybe getting them back on the show at some point too. Um, uh, today's show is going to be a little bit of a short show, uh, as I'm sure you'll be happy to hear. And we'll have a, at the end a video from Start on the Street. I'm not going to be happy unless an acorn falls from this oak tree and. You get to make use of your hat, your yeah. helmet. This is why we have this helmet because of uh, acorns and also other negative Bumper reactions. Acorn um, yeah, boy, I didn't have any coffee this morning. I can, I can feel it. I could have brought you some. I know. Well, whatever. Um, you got the coffee and the cigarette going on today. Yes. Well, double. I know how to start a morning. <laughs> a double shot of stimulation. Um, I was gonna say uh, I look forward to seeing the Chamber Music Society, getting them on here. Mr. Band was last week. Today we're gonna talk about pilot. Today we might talk about drugs. Today we're gonna talk about uh, City Councilor Joff Smith. Um, I want to talk about Mystery Band though. You ever you ever go to Mystery Band? I've been to a show, but I've never partaken in any of the. Yeah. yeah. It was years ago that I went to one of the one of the shows. There you go. Well, so the deal about Mystery Band is that. A bunch of people basically put their names in a hat. We're trying to get the cameras back to the wind. A bunch of people put their names in the hat. They get put into bands. They have maybe a couple of months to get some songs together, create a band name. And then there's like one show where all of these bands play their 20 minutes of original material. And these are not necessarily people who know how to play instruments or have ever functioned in a band before. No, some of them are great. I mean, some of them are fantastic musicians and some of them are just like, don't really know what the deal is. And I love it because I love it because I love bands. I think bands are really awesome. It's like, I was explaining this to somebody who didn't really get this thing of bands. That, you know, like even in today's world where every kid should be able to just like use his, his, his computer at home and make any kind of music he wants solo, the desire to form bands and hang out in your parents' garage is still mm -hmm. extremely strong around, the, even in places like Japan where people don't really have a lot of space for a garage. It's kind of like a like a street gang, but with you know seeking cultural endeavors as opposed to you know spray painting walls or robbing old ladies. It's a little like a gang. It's a little like a family. Yeah. It's like because you ha you know you, it's, it's all about sort of strengths and weaknesses, and especially mystery band is very much like a family because you're just sort of thrown together. You don't pick your family. You don't pick your mystery band. <laughs> um, all of the little all of the little traditions around a band, such as the band name, maybe a band logo you know, the band's stage presence, all of these, it's just sort of boiled down in this because it's like really about like creating a band. Mm -hmm. I just love it. I just love the whole social thing of looking at these bands. This year the bands were fantastic, much better than in the past years when, for example, I have been involved. I don't know if it's either, it's either possibly because 
people in Worcester have now learned how to make this happen. Mm -hmm. Like it's a tricky process. To sort, it's sort of it's sort of like dating a little bit, having your first couple of meetings of your band and trying to figure out what exactly are we doing, what are people's roles, what can if somebody plays something that's terrible, how can I tell them this without offending them? Like where's their comfort level? Mm -hmm. um, maybe people in Worcester have figured this out. Also, in the past, whenever people have dropped out of bands, the bands have tended to merge so that people could still be in mystery bands. So you'd have a lot of mystery big bands. And when you've got like eight, ten people who don't really know each other and some of them don't know how to play, very, very easy to tell if people are not playing together. Whereas when if you've got a band that's got like three people, only two of them are playing instruments and they're both pretty good, mm -hmm. like there's no, there's no challenge. Is it music broken up based on ability or, um, <laughs> you know, instruments? Or do you, is there a chance that you'll have like a band with five French horns? No, I think that no that's the one, the, I think the, I think the main thing that they try to do is to not have the same instrument repeated. Um, some bands will have multi-instrumentalists, mm -hmm. but um, and then the other thing I think is that they tend to try to have people not be uh, try, try to mix people who haven't been in the same band together. But again, at this point, it's been going on for quite a while. There's a lot of people. I own an accordion that I have no idea how to play. One of these years, I'll have to sign. Well, if there's a winter, sometimes there's winter mystery bands. If there's a winter mystery band that might be playing in January or February, we will hook you up there. Excellent. Um, I wanted to ask you about. I wanted to bring up Josh Smith and then ask you about Pilot. Uh, what is the deal with the Worcester's Alternative Press and Josh Smith, man? They hate him. Like here's well, one of them hates him. Well, so Rosalie Trella calling him soulless, <laughs> kind of awesome. And then this week, even worse, maybe Nicole Apostola this week, Worcester blogger, accuses Josh Smith of not being five foot ten, as he says on his acting resume. I think I'm five foot ten, and I'm pretty sure Joff might be my height. I'm not sure though. I mean, I don't know. You're it's, five ten. I think I'm five ten. Yeah. This ground is not even though. No, it's not. You're standing on a roof. It's totally unfair. All right. Also, yeah. I have a hat on. This Maybe hat I'm on. not five ten either. Maybe I've been lying to myself and the world for years. That's what it says on my license though. It seemed like know. the right number to put on my license. I want to see a press conference. I want to see like the beginning of a boxing match. You know, the, the, what do they what do they call that? The way the way the way in or something? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the you know, I guess we, that's one of those places where we kind of can pick our own demographics, right? I mean, when was the last time when you fill out fill out your information for your license, especially, you can kind of pick whatever you want. I could have been 250 pounds and six foot eight if I wanted to, and I don't think anyone there would have said got out the measuring tape to make sure. So yeah. you know, maybe that's what Joff did. Maybe one day back, you know, when he got his license, he picked a height. And he's just stuck with it. Maybe, maybe it's the the burdens of being a city councilor are weighing him down. Well, I, you know, I think that's part of it too. Because if I'm not mistaken, Joff might be one of the shorter of the city council members, and and I think we all know that height sells in politics. We, we you tend you have any matched up race, you tend to see the taller guy come out. So maybe he's just you know hedging his bets and hoping that the height helps. I don't know. We'll have to see. Anyway, I would just like to see. I would like before any more accusations are made, I want to see <laughs> medical evidence. I don't want it to just be casting aspersions. We have to get in touch with Joff primary care physician for confirmation here you know whatever I know that there's like the physician client whatever you call it confidentiality we're not saying break that we're just saying you could just make this whole thing go away just come out just you know just get it out there be do we proactive. have any sort of um, medical test to judge whether or not Joff is in fact soulless that seems like a heck of a, cl a claim and I'm not sure how we would confirm or deny that I think anything any claims of the in-city times are the implication is that they're false <laughs> So I don't think that we even really have to look News you shouldn't believe. No. One, one good thing in the City Times, maybe this week, uh, Rosalie Torella writing about how now, by her count, all of the cities, all of the colleges in the city 
except for the two Catholic colleges, mm -hmm. Holy Cross and Anim An Assumption, have made some sort of payments in lieu of taxes or pilot mm -hmm. to the city. Um, and her, she's just going on in some sort of pseudo-theological, terrible reason why they should pay. But I was actually, actually wondering about this. Do you have a theory about why these guys might be the, the last two holdouts here? None whatsoever. Here's my theory. Tell me if this is wrong. <laughs> this, this is totally just like on the back of an envelope here. So our theory on this show, um, our theory on this show has been that this is not really about the money, that the money is kind of drop in the bucket kind of money that the colleges are paying the city. <laughs> We're all going to be wearing hard hats on next week's show. <laughs> We're aprons falling. Um, that it's, what it's about is it's about the city saving face and at the same time basically doing land deals and zoning deals with the colleges and maybe even with the implication that there would be even some in the future years. Mm -hmm. So for example, most recently allowing Clark to shut down a, shut down a street mm -hmm. and take a number of properties that they've been paying taxes on off the property tax rolls as part of this deal, which seems like it's as big or much bigger maybe than the money they're going to pay over the next 20 years. Right. Are Holy Cross and Assumption in a situation where they don't need land deals from the city? Because they're not, the other ones are like urban campuses right. or surrounded by a lot of whatever, whereas Holy Cross is like on its hill doing its thing. Assumption, I feel, is like in its valley or whatever the heck that thing is doing its thing. Is, is this the same reason or am I just... Yeah, no, I think it does. I mean, Assumption especially because they're kind of landlocked over there and, and I can't think of the last time I heard of uh, the neighborhood necessarily complaining about uh, Assumption being a drain on you know either city services or just being a burden to the neighborhood. Right. It seems like there's a pretty healthy relationship between Assumption and the neighborhood. Um, Holy Cross doesn't, I don't, I don't think, have that same healthy relationship necessarily with some vocal members of the neighborhood, right. but they're still kind of tucked away. And I, I think the impact stays relatively isolated to the, to the campus. Um, but also, I mean, it seems, just reading the paper over the last couple of weeks, that Holy Cross is working on some sort of package with right. the city manager currently. Um, and I'd fall back to what we were discussing last week, where that I kind of like, that, you know, there, if there's going to be some sort of quid pro quo, it takes, it's it's an agreement between the city. It's not the, you know, uh, residents outside the torches and pitchforks demanding sacks of cash be thrown out by the Jesuits. Um, that's kind of nice. I think that it's an actual agreement that they're coming to. That's pretty good. Well, thanks in City Times for encouraging us to. Can you see the, uh, the. I think it's an advertisement in the uh, back of this week's in City Times from to our friend Tony Muro. I don't have a copy of this this week's issue, but he was taking credit for the uh, Clark uh, pilot. Apparently, he was upset that uh, Jordan Levy had taken some credit for uh, being the catalyst to uh, pilot movement, and Tony Nobiloni Muro wanted to uh, set the record straight. And that he's it. the one who brokered that deal. He is the one who brokered the deal. Well, well, we can he's taking about time week. off from keeping fluoride out of Worcester's water. He. <laughs> He made pilot happen. We can talk about this more whenever we see the, uh, whenever we can bring the ad on the program. I wanted to ask you actually about K2, uh, maybe the dangerous of all high mountains that people climb. <laughs> they say that it's like Russian roulette. If you make it to the top, you've Ooh. got a five and six chance of making it to the bottom. Um, also, apparently the brand name for this incense that you can buy over the counter or buy through the internet. And smoke. And, and you could inhale the vapors from this incense and one of the chemicals in this incense is a, is a chemical analog of the active ingredient in marijuana. Right. Uh, and so there was a really funny article in the paper. It wasn't written as though it was funny, but it was hilarious last week of like uh, Billy Needles and some, some, uh, some uh, state representatives having a press conference of like, 
We need to we need to crack down on this on the state level. We need to crack down on this incense on the state level and, and ban this incense. And uh, we're gonna have a boycott of all stores that are selling this in the city. So they, they go to like this nearby little convenience store and they're like, we're gonna boycott you unless you stop selling it. And the guy's like, I'll stop selling it. I really basically sell none of it right now. I'm happy to not sell it. Get it off the shelves. I know, it was just so funny. It was like, this is like such, this stuff is such a non-issue that you can't even like, the but people who sell it can't even sell it. a couple times just within the last decade. And I think the two best examples are K2 and the other being Salvia, which is a straight up hallucinogen, where they're <clears> drugs that uh, nobody seems to actually want to do. And right. you, know, you get such a small population uses them, has nothing but terrible things to say about the drug, uh, mm -hmm. and typically would move on to something else. Uh, but then you've got either, in this case with K2, it seems it started with a small town police department that uh, noticed the stuff was available legally and you know put out the, uh, the bat signal saying we have to do something about this. Uh, and you know national media and other law enforcement agencies followed suit without ever actually stopping to see what the usage was. Um, and it seems as though they actually end up creating a bit of a, a free marketing campaign uh, for the drugs uh, that otherwise nobody would really want to do because they're just a terrible, terrible experience. You know, I, I, I haven't been able to find anybody who's done K2 to speak to. I've spoken to my people in the youth culture, though. Yeah. I, I found people who know whose friends have done it, and they say that the uh, general thing is that uh, half as potent as marijuana, mm -hmm. twice as expensive as marijuana, why would you do this? That's, I've that's managed to find one person who, uh, through a, a, a contact who, who had used it, mm -hmm. and the experience was altogether uh, negative. Um, and they basically said the same thing, that it's just absurd that anyone would be concerned about a terrible drug that's attempting to, terrible in the sense that it's just ineffe both ineffective and not a good time, uh, that is attempting to replicate the effects of a drug that's, for all intent and purposes, perfectly legal here in Massachusetts. This is the irony. This is the irony, you ungrateful kids, <laughs> is that you're out there inhaling incense or something. We've been working our asses off for decades now, trying to get real marijuana, you know, to some degree of legality here in the Commonwealth. We finally get to that point, and you scuttle the ship and go move on to incense, you know, that is tainted with something from China. My God, you're smoking, basically smoking lead, kids. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I have never smoked anything, much less, uh, you know, illegal or decriminalized things. Mm -hmm. So, I, like I said, this is not really, like, my culture. This is not really my thing. I just, it's just awesome. Like, you pointed this out. It's awesome that, like, I don't know. We finally decriminalized marijuana in the Commonwealth. And then, theoretically, somebody out there is, although, I don't know, theoretically, somebody out there is, like, then trying this fake marijuana. Although, again, arguably... Nobody's trying. In a, in a way, in a weird way, and this is, kind of contradicts my own feelings about prohibition and whatnot, but I understand how some states' legislation might make sense. I mean, if you're in a state like Alabama, right, like no interest in, in, in showing any uh, uh, room to move when it comes to legalizing or decriminalizing actual marijuana currently, uh, they might be able to fairly view this as a problem in addition to uh, an existing drug, what they view as an existing drug problem. But it seems, again, a little bit unfair to be looking in areas like this, you know, the real stuff, perfectly legal, the fake stuff that isn't even worth your time uh, should just be summarily ignored. There's no reason. It, it would be like trying to in, uh, increase the number of laws that we have on moonshine in, in Massachusetts, right? I mean, we've got a perfectly legal alcohol distribution system. The likelihood of people making booze in their bathtub now is slim to none. So we don't actually have to worry too much about some of the issues that we had during Prohibition with people getting sick and dying from, uh, you know, bathtub gin because we've, you know, we've opened up the actual marketplace. Right. Do you, do you know off the top of your head, um, if the state legislature were to try to crack down on this stuff, if it would then just fall under the marijuana law of being 
illegal to sell yeah, but not, not illegal to have? I'm not use? totally familiar. No, I, I think it would be separate if the state did it. But we discussed this a little bit last week. What's interesting is that the way the DEA on the federal level can schedule uh, drugs, uh, they have a rider for analogs. So if something is essentially the same as another drug, yeah, chemically, and it can be shown that it's essentially the same as another drug, then the DEA, without any uh, legislation, can typically just schedule that drug you know, with the stroke of a pen. And it's interesting that they haven't done that yet, because you would think if there actually was a huge problem surrounding K2, considering that its primary active ingredient is a, a marijuana analog, or at least what appears to be a, a, a cannabinoid, an analog for a cannabinoid, that it would be easy enough for them to just jump in and say, okay, this is now going to have the same scheduling as marijuana on the federal level, and that would then trickle down through the states and make things much easier for everybody else by providing a framework. But if the DEA hasn't jumped on the bandwagon yet, uh, it stands to reason that it might not actually be as big of a problem as people like to think it is. Uh, I think that's also mirrored by the convenience store owner who can't get rid of the stuff that he has in stock and is happy to take it off the shelves to make Billy Needles happy. Not because, you know, he agrees with Billy Needles, but because it's not selling in his stores. I would have liked to see actually Bronislaus Kush, who I believe wrote the article. He should have just like taken that opportunity to say, you should give it to me, and, I'll, and then it would be like investigative journalism. I'll smoke it for you. We can all try it out here, and then we can tell you firsthand how terrible this stuff is. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that's all it comes down to, is that this is something where people are, are, are get really, still get really scared at the idea of a drug. Right? I mean, they, they don't have ever stop, one, to see if people are actually using the drug, or two, if the drug's even harmful. And I think that's something that's a bit disingenuous about the news that's come out around this. It's, most of the stories do involve healthcare professionals, but there's no good peer-reviewed research about K2 to be able to identify what its real risks are and um, you know, what the long-term uh, problems could be involving the community as a whole. Uh, and it seems a, a little bit frightening to me anyways that you know, healthcare professionals would be willing to just jump out and say, this stuff is awful even though we know nothing about it. You know, well, and we're then, not even sure what the chemical compounds involved are, but we're confident yeah. enough in its, its negative uh, uh, properties to tell you that you shouldn't be doing it. Well, you say this as a doctor, and then all the people in the community who are especially vulnerable to fear-mongering No, I know, but this is up. essentially what, what kicked off prohibition in terms of drugs in general, was you know yellow journalism and whatnot, and people were, were just making absurd <clears throat> claims about marijuana uh, that led to uh, criminalization without anyone actually stopping to, to, to fact-check whether or not it was worth criminalizing in the first place. Well, kids, don't smoke incense. <laughs> don't smoke stupid... Don't smoke anything stupid. Just... Parents, don't let your don't raise kids who are dumb enough to smoke it. I don't know how you not raise parents who are dumb enough to smoke incense, but give it a shot. That's my that's my words of judgment for the week. Just because someone fills a bowl with something doesn't mean you should smoke it. <laughs> I mean, there there are good things to smoke and there are bad things to smoke. Let history be the judge, right? If people have been smoking weed for thousands of years and nobody's died yet. Stick with that one. Don't look for the next best thing. Is that a, is that actually a PSA or did, it's an it anti-drug message? Is that a, the opposite of a PSA? It's, a, it's an anti-drug message. I is think what it, it is. Yeah, successful. All right. Well, now we're going to show you a video from Start on the Street, which is great, and it will help you learn how to get high on life and not on false drugs. I'm Mike Benedetti. Brendan Melican. Brendan Melican. Charlie, it's October the first. I'll see you today. Bye bye. <laughs> Thank you.